It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Support for this podcast comes from Microsoft Surface. Now more than ever, you need a laptop that can be as adaptable as you are. Introducing Microsoft Surface Laptop Go. Finally, a premium laptop at an affordable price. Starting at just $549, its light, thin design, vibrant touchscreen, powerful processor, and built-in HD camera and mic turns any room in your home into a classroom, office, or study hall. Available in three amazing colors the whole family will love. Visit surface.com slash laptop go for more details. Ace is the place with the helpful hardware, folks. It's Ace's biggest LED light bulb sale of the year. Right now, buy one, get one free on our best-selling LED light bulbs. Our four-pack of LED bulbs is $9.99, and our two-pack of LED floodlights is only $12.99. Buy one, get one free. There's no limit on how much you can save, so stock up now. Hurry in. Buy one, get one free on long-lasting 10-year LED bulbs, now through Monday, only at your neighborhood Ace. See participating stores for details. You're Locked On Warriors, your daily Golden State Warriors podcast. I'm Daniel, your host, and so happy to bring you your team every day. We're a little bit less than every day right now because as you were listening to this, I'm actually on vacation. I took the week off right around the All-Star game because there aren't many games and the opportunity came around. So what I wanted to do was actually, this is I'm recording this on Friday, and the reason that I want to mention that is because things could change. You know, we're close to the trade deadline and lots of other things. So I'm recording this before any big moves have happened for any Western Conference teams, so I don't want to get too much into that. This is a Reddit mailbag. I went to the Warriors, the Warriors page on NBA Reddit about a day ago, asked for questions, got a lot of good ones. And the way that I'm going to do this is I'm going to try to answer every question that was in there. And if it's too long for a single podcast, I'll release it over multiple. So you will know if, if, you, if you get to the end of it and it doesn't seem like it's everything, that there will be more. And this episode is brought to you by SeatGeek, the way to buy and sell tickets to concerts, sports, and many other things. You can download the free SeatGeek app, S-E-A-T-G-E-E-K, and use the L-O Warriors code, L-O Warriors, and you get $20 off your first order. So the first question is from Belligerent Cow. I will read usernames unless it is offensive in some way, and then I won't. Belligerent Cow, uh, who outside the starters and Iguodal and Livingston do you see making the playoff roster or or playing significant minutes? As of right now, so we haven't really gone through the buyouts, so I wrote a piece for The Athletic before the season and updated it. If you take just the four All-Stars, so that doesn't include Pachulia, Livingston, and Iguodala, if those guys are all full strength, I expect the team to have about 40 to 43 minutes for everyone else. And assuming everyone's healthy, Pachulia gets a lot of those minutes, 15 to 20 probably. And then the remainder is going to be split between whatever big men are looking good. So David West, JaVale McGee, I would assume West is kind of the favorite there. He's a more established veteran, but JaVale has played very well, especially with the starters. And then probably a couple of those minutes will go in the kind of Leandro Barbosa memorial spot to whichever of the backup two guards Steve Kerr trusts the most. So Ian Clark, Patrick McCaw. My personal instinct right now is that that's going to be Patrick McCaw. He's looked better and he fits in more cohesively with the starters and when the starters are playing more. Something to remember about a playoff rotation is that I, I, so I write these pieces about going through the average minutes, and the Warriors have been fortunate enough to make the NBA Finals the last two years, so I actually have the full sample to work with. But the best players generally ramp up their minutes during the playoffs themselves. So if Stephen Curry and Kevin Durant are going to average 38 for the playoffs, 
my instinct, and I could go through this if I at some point later if people want it, is that they'll probably be more in the 35 range in the first round, maybe 36, 37, and then moving up into, into 40 or so. And those minutes will probably squeeze out a lot of the ancillary players. So maybe the Clark McCaw combo gets like two or three minutes in the later rounds if the Warriors make it, and JaVale McGee or David West probably get squeezed out or close to it as well. I am very interested in, in also if they change the starting lineup at any point. I think it will depend on how they fare. You know, last time they didn't really make, they made the switch based on Boga getting hurt and numerous other things, but in 2015 it was, you know, they thought they needed that juice. Nikki Redden gets the credit for that, of course, and that could be the same here, that if, if they start rolling through teams, they'll just keep Zaza as the starting center, do something more like what the Warriors did with Andrew Bogut, you know, throughout the playoffs when he was healthy, of just playing him shorter stints, but at the beginning, they're already basically doing that with Pachulia. I think it'll probably be something close to that. But they have a different set of bigs this year, and I could entirely see the coaching staff throwing them out in different combinations depending on who's playing well and everything else like that. I think they will have, due to the injuries to Pachulia and West at the same time, I think they have a good sense of what McGee, what West, what Pachulia, what, you know, even Kavon Looney and McAdoo can do. But that's really what I would see it. So the four All-Stars, Livingston, Iguodala, Pachulia, they're locked in. And then one or both of David West, JaVale McGee, and then some minutes for a, a backup two guard. The other possibility there is if the Warriors got an awesome buyout guy, that person could fit in. But without knowing who that is, I, I think that I don't want to really speculate on that. Next question is from Robotsor. What do you think is the cause for Curry's recent slump in the last six games? He's only averaging 19 points, shooting 41% from the field, shooting 33% from three. When you are dealing with a small sample, which six games absolutely is, a lot of it is usually random chance. And in this circumstance, it absolutely is. Curry has been getting solid looks. I'm thinking back to the game against Denver. He was one of 11 from three. And he was fine. You know, like it, it was it was nothing structurally wrong with his shot, nothing wrong with what he was taking. They just didn't fall. And three pointers, you know, even for somebody as good as Curry, they're a 38, 40, 42 percent proposition. When you're dealing with something like that over a small sample, you're going to see times where a guy's shooting 30 percent. You're going to see times where a guy's shooting 50. And even over the month of February, which is a small sample size, slightly larger, Curry shooting 40% from three. So this is different than before. I'm not seeing anything structurally. He has been maybe a little bit less aggressive the last couple days, but not very much. And a lot of that can also be attributed to the stretch at the beginning of February is underrated in terms of difficulty for the NBA because they oftentimes the schedule makers put the games pretty close together because they go, oh, well, they're about to get a week off. And while for some of the Warriors guys, they're actually not getting a week off, that mentality sometimes leads to tougher like back-to-backs three and four four nights and if the legs are a little bit tired then oftentimes that can lead to worse performance too so there's I think a little bit of that in there as well but I haven't seen anything you know I did a whole podcast on what's wrong with Stephen Curry's shot I'm not seeing anything in the last you know couple weeks that is giving me any concern so I think it's just random chance at this point and because I haven't updated it in a little while Curry is 14 three-pointers actually he's 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 yeah 14 behind tying Kobe Bryant for 11th all-time and made threes so depending on how he does while I'm gone that might be close to happening on either if he goes crazy it will happen before I get back but after that it'll be shortly thereafter so that's worth watching and then Chauncey Billups is actually three ahead of Kobe so 
Curry could, by the end of this month, I would expect that he will be in the top 10 all-time in made threes, which is completely ridiculous considering he is in his eighth season. And then it'll be a little bit of time then before he catches up with anybody else, but can go through that at a different time because it's a little bit further away. And the next one, just to say the name, as of right now, it's Joe Johnson. I don't think Joe's going to catch Jason Kidd, so it'll probably be Joe Johnson in ninth. And I always think it's weird when Curry passes an active NBA player, like when he passed Dirk Nowitzki a, a few weeks ago. That was absolutely crazy. Next question is from, uh, this is the name I can't really read, S-L-R-S-E-M-E-G-A. I'm still seeing the offense stagnating when teams get physical with the Warriors on defense. Talked about with the Kings and all that kind of stuff. Um, That is true. The Warriors, like just about every team, stagnate with more physical defense, especially when it's not being called. However, it is a greater issue for the Warriors than... Probably every team in the league right now, not every team ever, but every team in the league right now, because the Warriors offense relies so much on off-ball movement, so screening, cutting, because as a practical matter, NBA referees are much more active calling fouls on ball. It's easier to see. There's always at least one ref watching the ball, and off-ball sometimes in three refs, 10 players, all the other stuff that's going on, coaches in their ear. Sometimes they miss other things. And so the grabbing and pulling on Curry in particular, though it can be basically anybody, that gets called a little bit less some games than others. And it's also a reason why the Warriors sometimes struggle in the playoffs. You know, Cleveland did a nice job of using the looser whistle, you know, the idea that games aren't called as tightly in the playoffs to their advantage in the NBA Finals. And so... The Warriors, there are a couple different ways to do it. One, you can try to exaggerate the contact to try to draw those calls or get the refs aware of it. Kerr can basically complain about it in the press, try to shame the officials into it, or they can tweak their offense a little bit. And that is the element that was not done as much in 2016 in the playoffs for various reasons. But it's a big part of why I prefer when it gets down to it, boiling down to more basic on-ball actions. High pick and roll is an easy one, especially with the Warriors personnel, because in that case, a lot of the actions, a lot of the potential shots, potential fouls are involved in that action. And so it's easier to get the calls and it's harder for the refs to ignore than when Curry's cutting off ball or something crazy like that. So I wouldn't be surprised if they kind of went in that direction a little bit last year it could have in the playoffs it could have been because curry wasn't 100 percent. i don't know for sure i it's not really a a, an easy question to ask coach kerr especially because it gets into tactics that are relevant in the future and coaches always keep that incredibly close to the vest so i do support going to something more in that realm whether it's curry durant pick and rolls curry green green somebody else durant somebody else you can go a lot of different directions with it And the Warriors now have enough shooting at the other spots and passing at the ones that aren't really shooters to make that work. You can't really help too much off of the other guys. Uh, Something Nate Duncan talks about a lot, and I've fully adopted myself, is the idea of whether a team can defend a pick and roll, an opponent can defend a pick and roll with just two guys. And with Stephen Curry involved, that's very, very, very difficult because that's why teams switch is because if you try to do it with two guys, you can't have it with one person because if they're the time they're getting around the screen is enough space for Curry to take and make that shot. So I would not expect you know teams to really get away with 
doing that in most circumstances so that means switching that means bringing in an extra guy and again that opens the door for fouls it opens the door for clean looks for somebody else so I would fully support the Warriors going more in that direction when things slog down and that doesn't mean making it your base offense or anything crazy like that it just means using it more and using it more would be a definite help so we'll have to see if that actually comes into play we'll have to see and the Warriors are good enough that they can win some of those sloggy games. Like the, the questioner mentioned the Kings game. They still won the Kings game because defense fueled offense and they can do it in that way as well. So I, I hope to see it. I guess I expect to see it a little bit more. It was a big part of the 2015 finals. So you never really know, but it's not a big part of the regular season offense. Never has been probably never will be under Kerr, at least with this personnel. And that ties in with the next question, which is from Ursan Templar. The questioner has a hypothesis. They want to test about Kerr's offense running high pick and rolls in that I suspect role players get more touches when the Warriors are not running it and are more efficient. Those are two different points. They definitely touch the ball less frequently and more time is, is a little bit more complicated when the Warriors are running pick and roll because when your offense is generally predicated on ball movement and player movement, then that involves more ball movement. And a pick and roll can open the door for it, but it doesn't necessarily. It depends on what, what happens on the play. That does not necessarily lead to efficiency because touching the ball and having a clean look are not necessarily the same thing. And again, it depends on opportunity. It depends on, more importantly, on how much help the opponent is going to throw at the guys in the pick and roll. So Harrison Barnes in particular got some amazing looks off of pick and rolls in prior years because if his defender comes in to help off the corner, then he's getting a wide open corner three. That actually happened, uh, I believe it happened at the end of the, uh, I was re-watching game six of the Western Conference Finals. I think that's what led to his wide open corner three in the final two minutes of that game. And those sorts of circumstances happen, but they certainly touch the ball more in a ball movement offense. And unless you really, really trust those guys with the ball in their hands and some of the Warriors, I mean, we're calling role players, guys like Andre Iguodala and probably Sean Livingston, who are very talented, but are filling a role. Other than those type of guys, you would rather have the ball in your star's hands. They, they're capable of more. It, it induces more defensive attention, induces more foul calls. So I'm okay with that idea and, and going in that direction. So you have to kind of fit through it. Um, and then the other question they asked that isn't a Warriors that isn't necessarily Warriors specific is uh, what's the easiest way to access videos of specific defensive possessions? If you know what you're looking for, you can do some of that through the uh, the new NBA site, the the stats site. You can pull up specific videos. But the questioner also asks about like defense when certain players are on the floor. That you're going to need Synergy. I believe Synergy is doing some sort of public account thing right now. I'm not completely sure. I haven't had enough time to go into it all the way, but that you can, I think they, they do have some sort of public option where you can pay some amount of money and you can go through it. But it, there's a reason why that is not, you know, especially free in most cases, because it's expensive to put together. You have to have people chart the plays. You have to create a database that's searchable, all of those sorts of things. So I understand why, especially if they can monetize it, why they, they put it behind some sort of wall, whether that be Synergy or Teams for their own private purposes, using the using the footage for whatever, you can also think about the if you guys haven't read the Zach Lowe piece from I think it was two years ago on the analytics, sport view cameras, and what the Raptors are doing in terms of an ideal defender. That's really cool as well. I would recommend you go back and read that. If I I think by those general concepts, you could probably search and find the piece. But it was it was a really interesting one and worth checking out. 
Another thing worth checking out is SeatGeek. SeatGeek is my personal way of buying and selling tickets because it is a great vessel for whatever you're looking for in terms of the ticket buying experience. It is a field I have a lot of experience with, having done it as a career. And what you want in a, a ticket purchasing option is you want security. You want to make sure that what you buy, that you're actually going to get it. You want to make sure that you're getting a good deal and that you're covering all your bases. And you do all that through SeatGeek because they have an aggregation tool. So, so they're basically putting everything together in one place. So you don't have to worry about, oh, well, maybe the X ticket site isn't in there. They're all in there. And also their deal score is fantastic. It's a great way of combining ticket quality plus ticket price to say, you know, sometimes you don't always want the best, you know, the best seat in the house. Sometimes you don't always want the worst seat in the house. You want the best combination. That's what most people are looking for within their price range. And so that's what SeatGeek's deal score is going after. They do a great job of it. I've I still use my own judgment, of course, but their deal score does an amazing job. I, I, I've been impressed with it. Like I, as somebody who did it as a job, as as a profession, I some points I get a little bit unnerved by the fact that a, an algorithm is doing a good job of something that I prided myself and experience and judgment being able to do. So I'm really impressed with that. And so if you want to check out SeatGeek, you certainly should. It's S E A T G E E K. That's the name of the app, SeatGeek, and if you download the free app, you can go to the settings tab, use the promo code LO Warriors for Locked On Warriors, and you get $20 off your first order. So what that means is you buy tickets to a game at Oracle, buy tickets to a concert anywhere in the Bay, anywhere in the country. And once you do that, if you put in the promo code before you buy, they'll just send you 20 bucks. It's awesome. So you get to go to the thing you were going to go to anyway, get to try out the app, you get $20, and you tell them that you came from us. So that will hopefully mean that they advertise on Locked on Warriors for a long time in the future, helps make this show possible. And so you can check it out, SeatGeek, promo code LOWARRIORS, L-O-W-A-R-R-I-O-R-S. Next question is from EAH2002. Do you think the Warriors will sign Briante Weber after his 10 day is up? If not, who do you see them going after? This is actually a more interesting and more complicated question. And it's an idea that I've wanted to to dive into a little bit and was thought about even doing part of a podcast on it. And the big question in terms of Weber, beyond how much they evaluate him himself and what they think of Briante Weber, is James Michael McAdoo. From what I know and from what I can tell, McAdoo is probably the 14th, the 14th guy on the roster now that Verjao is gone. The whether he is better and he is better than Damian Jones. Jones is a first round pick. He's cost controlled after this year. They just invested in him, those sorts of things. So like if we're talking about who's going to be the cuts, that's that's probably where you start. And McAdoo has played much better recently. And that's why this is relevant, because if McAdoo is lock stock on a gets a roster spot, you know, might even get a playoff rotation spot, then Briante Weber is on shakier ground because then he is the guy who would be kind of left out in the cold if somebody better comes around on the buyout market. If McAdoo's spot is a little bit less strong, maybe because the Warriors have so many other big men, which they do, and if they're healthy later on, then they go through that. At that point, Briante Weber actually looks a, has a little bit better of a chance because then maybe if a, a, a two guard or a small forward or a power forward, and small forward, power forward is actually where I would probably think about for the playoffs would be the best spot to have another guy because the Warriors are actually pretty shallow there. If 
some of the guys like Durant or Iguodala got injured or in foul trouble. In that case, then you would you probably want that. That's that's what I think if as the as the bigger issue. So if that if that spot is going to be filled by Weber or somebody else, then that's different. If it's Weber or McAdoo or somebody else, it opens it up. My instinct at this moment is that McAdoo is more secure than Weber. So then the question is, is Weber better than who's going to be on on the table? I think there's a good chance that he is because my instinct is that this is going to be a bad buyout market because there are not as many players on expiring contracts. The best way to predict a buyout, and I did a podcast on this a while back, is an expiring contract on a bad team, on a non-competitive team. And there are not as many teams that are totally out of it at this point as there are in many other years. Though the West is getting a little bit clearer, there's still a bunch of these squads that think that they can get the eight seed. And you're not going to see a team cut a guy when they're battling for the eight seed. And there aren't as many players on expiring contracts because so many teams were clearing their books for the big 2016 offseason. Whether that was a good idea or a bad idea is another question for another day. But in that line... I think that it's going to be it's going to be challenging to find the right players. Like the the two guys that stand out to me as pretty clear cut buyout guys are Randy Foy, who's on the Brooklyn Nets, formerly of the Oklahoma City Thunder, and Jose Calderon, who's on the Lakers, formerly of a couple of different teams, Knicks most recently. And those guys aren't better to me than Briante Weber is. So if that's the best that gets on the market, especially for what the words are looking for, then they should keep Weber. But the Warriors are not like many other teams where you have to look at the overall buyout market and say, oh, you know, are a couple of good guys coming out. Depending on the player and depending on what they want, the Warrior, that one Warrior spot theoretically could be the single most desirable spot because the Warriors are expected to make the finals. They have a very good shot of winning the championship and you're getting a lot of exposure there. Some may argue for a couple different other squads because if they're looking for locked-in playing time, the Warriors are not necessarily there depending on their position. So that opportunity is different, and maybe they want you know personality fit. They want to play with the Cavs and LeBron or one of the other East or West contenders. The Clippers are a good buyout team because they get a lot of exposure, and they, they have a okay bench, but not an amazing bench. I would say it's worse than the Warriors overall, though we haven't seen them healthy for a while. So... It'll really depend on that, but I would say there's a pretty solid shot, more than I expected, that Weber will be on the team for the rest of this year. The timing of this is absolutely fascinating. So Weber signed a 10-day contract before the Kings game, and the reason they did that is so he could play in the Kings game. They actually got Livingston back. As I understand it, the expectation was that Livingston was not going to play in that game, but he arrived after the birth of his child pretty soon before the game and was was still listed as active because the Warriors have guys that are hurt and so he was able to come in so the the interesting thing about with Briante Weber is that a, the real re- way a 10-day contract works in the NBA it's called a 10-day contract because that's easier but it's 10 days or three games whichever is longer so sometimes teams play a lot more than three games in 10 days and in that circumstance the player gets more time and if there's a long break, like let's say the All-Star break, then Weber actually has a 12-day contract. That gets them to February 25th. Players only have to be waived by March 1st, so there there is about a week of time there that things will fill in, that things can change. So I would 
my instinct right now is that they'll have an idea of where the buyout market is because the trade deadline will have already passed. The Brooklyn game is on Saturday. The trade deadline is on Thursday. So they'll have a good idea of, you know, who might be out there because maybe teams make trades and then it looks some, some players get in different places. But they a lot of those buyouts probably will not have already happened. So the Warriors and Weber might be in a little bit of a waiting game, but I'm guessing he will not be so antsy to not be able to to wait that out. There was the reporting, I think Chris Haynes had this, that there were four teams that were interested in Weber after the, you know, after the Warriors were kind of, you know, in the, in their process and he ended up coming back to the Warriors. So they'll have a conversation. There are a lot of pieces of this that we won't know, but I assume Weber's agent, Bob Myers, will have a conversation about what his chances are. And it's even possible, maybe even probable, depending on how all this works out, that Weber could even sign a 10-day with a different team while the Warriors are figuring it out. And then if he's still the best guy available, a 10-day contract doesn't turn into something else. The worry there, though, is that, you know, he basically would be free to sign a long-term contract or anything like that. And anytime you get a guy out of your camp, it it gets less likely. So I'm going to be very, very interested to see it because it will illuminate what the Warriors are thinking about their roster construction as we move into the playoffs. And Weber is more of a regular season luxury than a playoff piece not because he's he's bad or anything like that but because the Warriors don't need a third point guard in the in the playoffs because Curry's going to play more minutes, Iguodala is going to play more minutes, Durant's going to play more minutes, Livingston probably play about the same. He doesn't really play more minutes. So, they won't need that from Briante Weber, so that would, you know, kind of indicate of where they're going, but we'll have to see. The last question I'm going to do in this segment, then I'm going to do a second segment, is if the from uh, for another one from Robots are if the Warriors were to draft somebody in the upcoming NBA draft, let's assume they have a bottom five first rounder. Who do you think they would take and why? I will note at the outset that I am not as knowledgeable about the draft at this point in the process. I try to watch about one game a week of the college game because I don't really have time for more, and then I binge in the later point. So it's more about players that I happen to know through that, through that kind of process. And it's hard because as I, I kind of alluded to in the idea of the, of what the Warriors need in terms of a buyout guy, my opinion on where they should be looking it, all other things equal, which they never are is maybe for a three, for a small forward. If you can, they can get another point guard, that's great too. And this draft does not have many players that I know very well or like a ton in that in either of those molds in like either the three or as a one so the guys that i know in that area and like luke Kennard, who's at duke he's kind of a hybrid guard in terms of offensive role he can handle the ball a little bit but he's a good catch and shoot guy could actually be a nice fit with mccaw if mccaw gets more comfortable handling the ball especially if the warriors are going to run more of that draymond at you know draymond helping initiate the offense in the second unit the warriors could even go to depending on what happens with andre and numerous other things something involving canard and clay and mccaw or clark or whoever you know or whatever they're going to do in that realm because they will not have as much ball handling responsibility that would be an interesting possibility i like luke canard i think he could be a good player outside of him Jonathan John, who's from France, I'm. those of you who know my other work know that I'm generally a big fan of long French big men. I think that some of them have worked out really well. I think Peter Cornelly, who the Nuggets got last year, is good. Well, the little bit I've seen of John could be a nice little backup center type guy. And when you're 
the Warriors and you're looking at this kind of a spot theoretically in the late first, and I want to remind people that they do not have a late first round pick. Their first round pick is owed to the Utah Jazz. I would be leaning more towards ceiling because the contracts are not super rich and the Warriors are good enough that if they need that roster spot, they can afford to cut that guy. Yeah, they're going to have a big luxury tax bill next year, but but who knows? So I would lean more towards ceiling because it's so hard to get good rotation players that if you can have one on a cheap contract, like a first round pick, you go in that way. If Marcus Bolden of Duke is around, he's interesting. And then, I, I mean, I, I have to be, as a UCLA guy, um, Ikeana Bogu is the, he's their big, big center guy who probably shouldn't be in this draft cause he's still super raw. But if he does go in and falls another like lottery ticket type guy, who's a little bit, a little bit bouncy and can block some shots and the Warriors, they're always going to need to try to kind of like find guys that work at center until Damian Jones works if he does or Kevon Looney. So that or Bam Adebayo, if they're around, you know, those guys would be great. But again, I, I would expect that if the Warriors end up with a pick in the 2017 draft, that it will be later, probably in the 35 to 40 range, maybe even a little bit later. Per Eric Pincus of Basketball Insiders, who does a great job of keeping track of all of these things, the Warriors have not sent out any cash in this league year because when they bought the pick that became Patrick McCaw with the Milwaukee Bucks, they did that under last the last league year. So that would mean they have about $3.5 million to spend. Whether they spend all that or not is an open question. But I'm guessing that probably is more in that 35 to 45 range, depending on how much teams are going to value seconds in this draft. And a lot of that will depend on player quality. So if there are good guys like Deontay Davis ended up getting a big salary, I, and he, he was the pick was traded for, but it's the same kind of idea. And we'll have to see. So I, I don't know in that sense, but I would not expect... I think the days of buying a first round pick are long over. And part of the reason why that's true is because the last pick that was bought in the first round was Rudy Gobert. And there's a pretty good reason why you wouldn't expect that to happen again, especially with the value picks that could change a little bit based on the league upping the rookie salary scale. But I don't expect it to. I, th- I think that's just the way of the world now. So second round picks are more that that realm and the Warriors very well could buy one. It'll also depend maybe on what their expectations are in terms of Kevin Durant and everything else, because if they're going to have to use cap space to, to sign him, I've talked about that before, then you, you want to move things a little bit differently. And if it, you can actually second round picks are a nice thing to have in that because they don't take up more space than a roster spot. They don't take up more space than a, a roster hold. The minimum numbers I wrote about this in the piece I did on Durant, I think it was last week for the athletic. They don't take up more than that. And if they think you're going to have to sign them with cap space, then they're going to have to clear some roster spots. And in that case, maybe you, maybe second round picks are better than something. So we really will have to see, but I'm interested in how they approach that moving forward, but I would expect them to buy a second of some form. That is enough questions for now. It's a great, great group of them, but I have more to do. So you can look forward to that in the next couple days. I'll try to have everything out though before the trade deadline, because I worry that everything could be woefully outdated by that point. So if you have any feedback on the show, good, bad, or indifferent, NBA at gmail.com or at DannyLaRue on Twitter. I won't be reading anything at the moment because when you're listening to this, I'm on vacation. But if you send something, if you take the time to send it, I'll take the time to read it. I do not always promise to respond, but I take the time to do that. If you want to support the show, you can subscribe, download every episode, leave a rating, leave a review, tell other people, either people you know in, in real life or on the internet and say, hey, think you'd like this show. That's great too. 
And in the case of this episode, a big thing you can also do is check out our sponsor. You can go to SeatGeek, download their app, S-E-A-T-G-E-E-K, and you can use the promo code LO Warriors for Locked On Warriors, and you get twenty dollars off your first order. Use you go to setting times, enter the promo code. That gets you to use an app that I personally use all the time. It also lets you get $20 off your order and tell them that you came from us. So hopefully they advertise from us in the future. So that's enough for now. I will do finish up this up in a separate mailbag that will come out at some point, probably about a day after this. So thank you so much for listening. Take care and make it a great day. Ace is the place with the helpful hardware folks. It's Ace's biggest LED light bulb sale of the year. Right now, buy one, get one free on our best selling LED light bulbs. Our four pack of LED bulbs is nine 99. And our two-pack of LED floodlights is only $12.99. Buy one, get one free. There's no limit on how much you can save, so stock up now. Hurry in. Buy one, get one free on long-lasting 10-year LED bulbs, now through Monday, only at your neighborhood Ace. See participating stores for details. San Jose Sharks hockey is back, and we've got you covered five days a week at Locked On Sharks. I'm Kyle Demetrius. I'm J.D. Young. Eric Fowl. Together, we make sure you're never without your Sharks programming. Will the Sharks make a trade for a right winger? We got you covered. Will Eric Carlson's groin hold up for the entire season? We've got you covered. Whatever happens with Team Teal every day, we've got you covered at Locked On Sharks five days a week on the Locked On Podcast Network. This is Josh Lloyd, the host of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast, the number one fantasy basketball podcast in the world. If you're looking for information regarding fantasy basketball recaps of the NBA, this is the show for you. We are heading into the offseason and starting to get ready for the 2020-2021 fantasy season. We'll have all the information on what happens through the rest of the playoffs, free agency, the NBA draft, and then heading into a big 2021 season. So make sure you're checking out the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast.